Sweeties, did you just hear what she said? Normally, before a person ever gets up here and speaks, we practice. But during the week, Robin and I were not able to get together. And, and about a year ago, I heard Robin's testimony, so she was going to work on it. And I called her last night, and just over the phone, I said, okay, go. And she got through, and I said, Robin, triple A plus. Great, you say just that. And I didn't tell her to change one word, anything, because it was so profound. But did you hear what she said, folks? She said, church on Sunday is not enough. And see, Bible study, when you get into a dynamic of a men's or a women's, and you're going to hear from Matt today uh, about this next level with adults, and, and see, what, where we've been going the last three months is how not to just say, yes, I love Jesus. And I know Jesus, but how to walk in victory. Now let me just ask you a quick question. How many of you this week, you walked every day throughout the day in Christ's victory? Every day, all day, for just seven days. How many of you walked every day, every moment of every day in victory? There was one time on Monday morning this week that I got stressed out for about two minutes, and I even had to apologize to the people that I said I was with. I said, right now I'm letting the things of this world, the pressures, the uncertainty, the challenges, stress me out. And so I responded in the flesh rather than in the Spirit. So see, that says that every one of us, because I didn't see anyone else say, raise your hand, look at the top of your bulletin. See, we've been looking at these dynamics of how to always, circle that word, right under review, God wants us to always. See, the good news, God wants us to do this. God wants us. This is not something I'm telling you I want you to do. God wants us to always. Circle that word always. And then circle the next three words after it says B. Circle victorious in Him. See, until you learn how to always have victory in Him, because we live in a hard life and circumstances and feelings and our past, I mean, I pray that God will sit down on these people in this service like He did in first service. People were weeping in the first service. As soon as I got up and started preaching and I started seeing people weeping, I know that's the Spirit of God loving on people. There were two couples, if you're here and struggling in your marriage, whether your spouse is here or not, they've been struggling in their marriages and they wept during the whole service. And afterward, I ran them down and I said, Listen, God wants you to have victory in Him. And they both said, yes, yes, yes. See, the devil's a dirty dog. Remember last week we called him a dirty dog. He hates you and you ought to hate him. But God says greater is he, the Lord Jesus, when you receive Christ in your life than he that's in the world. But you've got to work God's ways in your life. And that's what we've been looking at. See, God always wants me to be victorious in him. And notice what happens right above that word spreading. Write the word broadcast. Now, many of you know I'm the son of a horticulturist. My dad was the guy that developed the tomato industry in southeast Arkansas in the 50s, and it was the largest tomato shed in the world. If you've ever had tomatoes, and Deerberg's gets them, 
from Bradley County. My dad started that packing shed in the 40s, right after World War II. Well, Washington State heard about my dad, and when the Grand Coulee Dam went in to open up irrigation in the middle of Washington State, when I was going in the eighth grade, that's why we moved to Washington State. Well, it gets too cold at night. Tomatoes cracked, so he became the apple expert of the United States. And he worked till he was 78, and he'd still be working if he didn't get Parkinson and die. Because my dad was an expert in horticulture. Well, he knew one thing. He had to have the prettiest yard in all of the town we live. So every four weeks, my dad, because he grew up, remember, way back in the Depression, and they didn't have those things that you push for fertilizer. They had this little thing that you'd strap around your neck, and he would stroll that, and, every, and we had grass greener than you've ever seen because he knew how to make it green. It was the right mixture of fertilizer. Well, did you know when you walk in victory, see that word spreading? It literally means broadcast. You are broadcasting the knowledge of Jesus. And you know what the knowledge of Jesus is? His fruit is love. Say it with me. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That no matter what my circumstance, my past, my present, I've got self-control. I'm not stressed out. I'm not having a pity attack, a panic attack. I'm under the control of the Lord, so i got self-control. And I'm spreading that. Only one. Only one. You should have jumped up and said, He scored! By the way, we're going to get to that point. You're going to see that when you really are walking in victory, it can't help but show. Remember when you went to your first hockey game? For me, it was 1969. I was a freshman in college. I'd never been around hockey, didn't know anything about hockey, but one of my roommates worked for Enterprise, so they had free tickets, you know, to every game. And every, so and all, every once in a while, about every two weeks, he'd get free tickets, and he'd say to us three roommates, let's go to the hockey game, because they had actually eight free tickets at every game. So often, we would go. I had never been to a hockey game. I didn't know the, the culture of a hockey game, but I was sitting there just watching it. You know, they're just going around. It's called the Spokane Jets. And all of a sudden, you couldn't even see the puck. You know, it was just flying around. But all of a sudden, I knew something had happened. You know why? The puck went in the goal, and everyone did what? If you know what they did, do it right now. Only one. You hadn't been to any hockey game I've been to if they did this. Every person in that place jumped to their feet and did. He scored! First time when we moved to St. Louis 22 years ago, a guy said, hey, have you ever seen the Blues play? No. I went to the Blues game. Now remember, from Spokane, Washington, St. Louis, there's 2,000 miles different. No one's coached anyone how you behave. But sure enough, the first time the goal scored. See, I knew I'd been to a bunch. I was right, jump up right there with him. It was in unison. It was like a choir director said, okay, get ready. He scored. He scored! And everyone together. I've watched hockey. 
Not all the time, but I noticed in any playoff, it doesn't matter where they are. When that puck goes in that goal, everyone. He scored! What is that the sign of? That's a sign of victory. Now, I do know a little bit about basketball. You're going down, shoot the shot, it goes in. What do they do? He scored! What happens two seconds to go in the football game? Rams kick the 49-yard field goal. What happens if it goes through? Everyone jumps up. He scores! What does the rest of the, what does the other team do? They fall to their face. We're having fun, but I'm trying to punch home a profound truth for you. You will know, and everyone around you will know, if you're walking in victory. Whole parents hear this. Your children know if you're walking in victory. Students, your friends at school know if you're walking in victory. Now that's what we're trying to be equipped. Did you hear Robin? She said, I had to get equipped. That's, that's what I'm going to be called accountable for before God when I get to heaven. Did I preach the Word to you? Did I teach the Word? Did I model the Word to equip you to live always in victory? See, Men, I know the men know this, because repetition, repetition, repetition. If you're visiting for the first time, write this down, because this is just review. This is not our study today, but we're going to keep reviewing this till it becomes our grid. See, it's impossible to always walk in victory unless we are being his son or lady's daughter. It's called a personal relationship with Christ. And the whole point of being his son or daughter is to live under the... See, that's the whole point. If you say you got saved, but you didn't know that you got saved to live under his authority, and you're still doing your own thing, you don't understand sonship or daughtership. It's now I have a heavenly father. His word is perfect. It's flawless. It thoroughly equips me, so I'm under it. That's trust and obey, for there's no other way. But once I know that I'm under his authority, number three... The only way I can walk under His authority is to walk by the and not the which is our sinful nature. Now, when I'm clothed with power and I'm walking by the Spirit, it's called the Spirit-filled life. The spiritual battle is not a playground. It's a battle. So the only way I can win it is fight my battles with the with the Word of God, with Scriptures. It's the sword of the Spirit. Now, as I think of all this, how is it all possible, number five? Only by His grace and truth. And see, in this work of God in my life, every day, because life is so hard, I better see God better or more or greater, whatever word you like the best, than anything else. Because if you don't see God better, and I just confess, see, on Monday morning, I was physically tired. I was emotionally tired. I was spiritually tired. I was exhausted in all ways. And I've learned in my life that's when I'm easiest prey to fall. We'd had church last Sunday. We had graduate parties all Sunday afternoon. We had that affirmation for Philip. So I was up 
from 5.30 till 10.30 going strong. Get up the next morning at 6.30. I come to church, and, and all of a sudden, just all this stuff starts coming that's not going like it's supposed to go. And all of a sudden, I get what? Irritated, stressed, and I respond with impatience to one of my sons. Now, probably if it had been any of you, I would have said, I can't respond. But you know how you take liberty with who? Say it. Your family members. But the moment I responded in impatience, in irritation, the Spirit of God convicted me, and I said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded that way. And see, my sons and I have known each other more in the flesh, in our sinful nature, than anyone else in the world. You know why? Because growing up all our lives, we played what? Competitive ball against each other. You cannot stay in the Spirit if you want to beat the other guy with all your heart. Because when he hits you and he scores, then you got to do what? Knock him down. And when boys are growing up, they're determined to beat their dad, and their dad's saying, it ain't over yet, baby. <laughs> That's the flesh. So see, my sons and I know when we're in the flesh real well. But see, my sons and I have come to a place in our walk. We want to walk in the Spirit 24-7. So I could say, honeys, forgive me. And my honey said, Dad, let us pray over you. And I tell you, it is so sweet to move from the flesh to the Spirit. Now, why do I tell you of the hunter's struggles? That you can identify how long does it take you, church family, when you find yourself in the flesh, that one of you say, I'm in the flesh right now, but I want to be in the Spirit. And the other one says, I want to pray for you. And you minister to one another. And you all drop to your knees like we did. And then you get up and you hug each other and you tell each other how much you love each other. And you continue with the will and the work of God that day. Wouldn't that be great if we could do that? See, that's what we're learning. That's why we got to know God better than anything else. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, I just got saved last month. Yes, I've been practicing this for over 50 years. But why I'm encouraging and equipping you, that's why you need to be in Bible studies to have other people just encouraging you, having your back. I mean, this morning I raced out to grab these two couples because I know they're on the verge of divorce, divorce. And you know what they need? They need truth, encouragement, truth, encouragement, truth, encouragement. And I grabbed them and I tackled them. One guy's a lot bigger than me. And I said, listen, buddy, you got to get back in Bible study. you got to get back in. Oh, I know, Pastor. I'm, I'm dying out there. I'm getting killed. I said, get back where people can love on you and encourage you. Don't listen to the devil that condemns you and says, man, if I ever just share all my struggles, people will talk about you. I promise you, church family, if you ever come to any Bible study and you share where you're wounded and hurting and someone talks about you in gossip, let me tell you, I'll knock their head off. I'm, I'm old enough. I'm 62. Listen, we are a hospital here. We are a place that needs to be loved and encouraged. And no one is here to ever say, look at that guy. Look how he struggles. No, we're here to what? Lift each other up. We're a team, and you don't block and tackle your team members. You help them. When you're down, you help them up. You don't kick dirt in their face and say, you dirty thing. You made your beds. Lie in it now. 
That's of the devil. And I know a lot of you are scared to death because you've been hurt and you've been betrayed in life and you're scared to death to get in a men's or women's group because you're afraid to be vulnerable and you're afraid people will attack you instead of love you. I'm telling you, you've got to get equipped and you've got to get, you got to trust. And I praise the Lord. That's a good thing in this church. No one's perfect here, but we've got a bunch of lovers here and we've got a bunch of encouragers here. And you've got to trust. Well, that's free. Let's keep going. See, you've got to know, number seven, my story is his story. That's God's story. To be a what? A winner. Now, if you think you're not winning, look up on the other side of the page. If you're here and you say, well, Pastor Phil, as I go through that, I'm really not doing any of that. And I'm not winning. And when you're not winning and you hear truth, it's easy for the devil to condemn you and make you feel worse. Tell the devil you're not going to listen to him because he's a liar anyway. John 8, 44. You're going to listen to the Lord. Well, here's the good news if you're not winning. See, if you thought of last week and you've been impatient, you've been unkind, you've been ugly at home and you've argued and you've been stressed out and, and you've been overwhelmed by life and you've been worrying and, and cursing and spitting and, and you're into addictive things and you say, I'm just not winning. Well, here's the good news. Underline it. God's mercy and grace makes it possible for the worst sinner to be saved to win. That's what we studied last week. Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. But look what God did in his life. And then today, we're going to look at a guy that a lot of people would have said he is the worst sinner. He was a tax collector. Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Just so you know really what's happening when we come up to the Lord approaching this tax collector, I want to just start reading. Get your ink pens ready. Hopefully you have your Bible. If you don't, just look up at the the PowerPoint. I'm going to start Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he, and that's Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, leprosy was seen as something uncurable. It was the destiny, death. The sentence, death. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and underlined that, touched him. See, you didn't touch a leper back then. And I want you to know, a lot of you may think you got sin that Jesus won't touch you and love you. That's right where he touches you. The darker your sin is, the whiter Jesus wants to make you. And Jesus reached out and stretched his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And and immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. You'll see why. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. See, Jesus didn't come for great crowds to follow him. He came to proclaim the gospel, to live a perfect life, to be the Lamb of God, to be the resurrected Lord, to raise up men in Bible study. It's called discipleship that would carry on the plan to make disciples throughout the world. But because this man evidently went out and told everyone, as well as all the other miracles that are going on, all of a sudden we reach 
this spreading fame that came to Jesus, that the crowds were coming to this man that would heal him and would feed him. So we read on there, verse 15, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, and here comes the crowd, a part of the crowd, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and underline it, who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now get this scene. If you're bringing a man on a mat, that takes how many of you? Four men at least. Okay? And then this guy, and they've heard about this Jesus that can heal even the lepers. So the man on the mat, I believe he believed. i got to get to Jesus. And he found four brothers. We'll call them Pete, George, Don, Sam. And they're carrying him. And they get, and we'll call the house where Jesus was, the drum cage there. And they get up here, wherever it is, and they realize the house is packed. There's a crowd out in front of the house. We, and we say to each other, let's say I'm one of those guys. Man, we can't, how are we going to get in there? And finally, George comes to the idea, hey, we got to go around on the back side. There's not a crowd on behind the house. We'll climb up on the house. We'll Cut a roof, cut a hole in the roof. We'll get him down. We'll drop him right down there for Jesus. And you know what my buddy over here says? Who's going to pay for this? What do you think those, those people think we're crazy? Now you're going to hear a story in a few minutes about overcoming your fear of what other people think of you when you are determined you're going to get your friends to Jesus. But they go around the back side of the house, they climb up, and by the way, that's no small task. Just go home today and try to put someone up on your car shed. You know, you're lifting this guy up, you're trying to get up there, but they're, they're determined. What keeps you from sharing Jesus with others? Now, by the way, did you hear the story, Robin? I shared for years, over a decade, but I didn't reach her for Christ. If she hadn't had a next-door neighbor that came to Christ that one day went to her and said, let me tell you about Jesus, and then she came here and God moved in her heart and she said, you know what, that pastor feels not bad. I do think I want to sit down with him. But it took a neighbor. It took a neighbor. Guys, the devil never wants all of you to realize how important you are to all of your neighbors and all of your family members and all of your friends. Because he has tons of people for you to reach for Christ. But you've got to have the resolve that those four brothers had to that guy. Well, they get him, they drop him down, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. I'll start at verse 16. Or that's 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way in to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, 
when he saw their faith. Folks, we got to have faith, brothers. We got to have faith. I said that to these couples hurting this morning. I said, where you don't believe in each other, I believe in Jesus in you. I believe in Jesus in you. Don't we all need someone when we don't believe to believe in us? Jesus in us? Tell you, Robin, she's a sweet little gal. She used to see me coming one way, and she just turned around and run the other way. She didn't believe, but I believed for her. And I'd pray, Lord, I just thank you. She's running from me, but it ain't me that can save her. And I just pray, Lord, just chase her down. Chase her down. You know how he chased her down? Through a neighbor called Jackie Trout. You know, Mike, one day he wanted to deck me when I started to share Jesus with him. Praise the Lord. God's bigger than that. Amen? Now, he's one of my sweetest buddies in all of life. Any of you try to touch me, he'll now deck you, okay? Now, let's keep going. See, and when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? And why did they say that? Read the next sentence. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they didn't think Jesus was God in flesh. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. He scored! No one had to teach him that. He, just, he was a winner now. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today and then circle the next two words after this after this he went out and saw a tax collector named levi now in your margin there just write matthew 9 9 because that's where we see levi's name was also matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, I want you to know today, here's the glorious good news of the gospel. If you're not winning today, and if the devil has been lying to you and shouting to you as I've been preaching this morning and saying, Pastor Phil just doesn't know my situation. He doesn't know my past. He doesn't know my struggle. He doesn't know my marriage. He doesn't know, fill in any blank you want to put that the devil's been talking to you. And you should never listen to the devil because John 8, 44, all he's going to tell you is a lie. He's the father of all lies. But I want you to just write in your margin here where you never forget it. Is if you look in commentaries, most men believe that Matthew was the first man, the first man that God used in writing the Scriptures to record the ministry, the life, of Jesus. And Matthew's writings were used by Matthew and the other gospel writers. See, when you were a tax collector, most of them knew shorthand. And most of them had to keep what? Detailed records because he was a tax collector, a Jew working for Rome. 
and they had to make sure that all the taxes, the customs you received, that Rome got their share. Now, a tax collector was the scum of the earth to the Jews because here a Jew was working for Rome to oppress his own people, the Jews. So that's why I said, if anyone would have ever said, could God use a tax collector, all of the people would have said, you got to be kidding. That's the grace of Jesus. See, write it in number one there. Winning, and now Matthew is following Jesus. He had to celebrate. I want you to hear this point again. When you're winning, no one has to instruct you to celebrate. You don't have to go to school to celebrate. You will celebrate. Do we all agree with that? Now, my son last week, Matt, many of you know him. If you don't know him, you'll meet him. After the service, he was in second service last Sunday. And he came up, and the first thing he says, Dad, that was a great message, a great work. Great passion, Dad, great compassion. And he affirmed me. And then the next word he said, Dad, there wasn't a lot of joy in there this morning. I said, I know, honey, I know. See, it's a sweet people, and they love Jesus, and they come to church and they're serving, but because they haven't learned how to be winners yet. See, you can't manufacture joy, can you? You can't manufacture celebrating. It just is or it's not. And I said, that's why, honey, I just keep teaching I keep praying, I keep loving, I keep encouraging because I know when we'll have joy. Because when we have joy, we'll be naturally doing this. He scores! And you know who it is that scores? It's Jesus that has scored in my life. It's Jesus that has scored in my life that when I get the doctor's report and I've got cancer, if I know God better than my circumstances, I'm able to kneel before Him and say, I praise you that you're sovereign God, like Joseph did. I see you better than the ordeal I'm in. I see you better than the pain I'm in. And I praise you. And when I do that every day during the week, when I come in and we start singing praises, guess what? We're saying, Jesus, you scored. I praise you. That's why the Scripture says, lift Holy hands unto the Lord. It's a surrender. It's an acknowledgement of His sovereignty and His steadfastness and His sufficiency in my life. He scored! And I live all through the week that way. Yesterday we went to a place that if you saw me, I asked for forgiveness right now. I would never go to this place. But my children, Josh and Julie were here, so we had eight grandchildren together. And my wife notified me Saturday morning. They didn't tell me before because they didn't want to get a lecture Friday night. They said, we're going to the Donut donut Palace. I said, the where? Yeah, we're taking all the grandbabies and we're going down here to the Donut Palace. Well, you guys know sugar nearly killed me this last year. I don't eat any sugar. We're going to the what? We're feeding my, my precious babies this rat poison? Yes. So I decided I'd go because I want to be with my grandbabies and three sons and their wives. So we go to the donut. Believe it or not, I've lived 
in West County for 22 years, and I didn't know about the Donut Palace. Some of you shaking your heads. Well, anyway, we went. And by the way, I paid for all that rat poison, too. And we sat there, and I mean, those little grandbabies, they were eating it up. They were smiling. There. Oh, we're happy, happy, happy. And we're having a sweet time. We're having a loving, sweet time. We just had a loving, sweet time all this week. Precious. Precious. Because we were winning. We were loving God. Last night before we prayed and Josh and Julie left, we got, and we got a little table for our grandbabies, and they were there. And, and Josh has taught his, his three that they sing a, a song of praise before they pray. Because we, we don't just rush into the presence of God, we come with thanksgiving and praise. So they sang a song, and they sang different songs, and then we pray. So I'm down there at the table with my grandbabies. And what song do we want to sing? And little Britain, he's the little boy that Josh and Julie adopted a little more than a year ago. His mama was a drug addict. He, he was addicted to drugs when he was born. He's a miracle that he's even alive. And this little boy, we hadn't sang this song all week, but this little boy just started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think that's about how far I got, and I couldn't sing it more because Papa started weeping. Tears of joy because you know what my grandbabies were singing? They were singing, He scored! He scored! Jesus wants to score in your life. And we had a fellowship, a banquet of celebrating God's grace and goodness in our lives. See, think about that next Sunday when you come to church. Let's say there's some people that are lost today. Maybe you're, it's the first time you've come here. And you hear this pastor passionately talking about how Jesus can change your life. Well, I'm telling you, if I'm lost, I come. I look around at these people that come every Sunday. And I want to see if it's just the preacher that's strange or if it really works in the people. Amen? Because you heard it wasn't me that reached Robin. It was a neighbor that was celebrating Jesus. See, Read on there. Did you write in number one, winning? Matthew had to celebrate. Did you see that in verse 29? Levi made him a great feast. That is, he made Jesus a great feast after he followed him. Because think of Matthew. I just wrote down some characteristics of Matthew as I was thinking. Here was a guy that was ripping people off that was the, the, just the gutter to the Jewish people. And he was celebrating because he could say, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Oh, once I was a, a cheat and a taker, but now I'm a giver. Once I was despised, but now I'm accepted. Once I was empty, but now I'm following Jesus and I'm full. Once I was searching, but now I'm at peace. Once I was alone, but now I have fellowship with Jesus and his brothers. Oh, I have to celebrate. I have to celebrate. So Levi, verse 29, made a great feast in his house. 
and there was a large company of tax collectors and other reclining at the table with them. Just write in number two, winning, Matthew had a new life, a new love, and he had to share with his friend. And he had to share with his friends. And see right in there, lost people have lost friends. And when you come to Jesus, you got to tell them. You're going to hear about that in a couple of minutes, how you can tell them, ladies. And you're going to hear next week, everyone, how we can tell them. See right in number three there. Then I'll read you the scripture. Winning, Matthew had to get his friends with Jesus and his disciples. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes, when they saw Jesus with all these publicans, tax collectors, outcasts, the scum of the earth, to the Jews, that is, they grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, if you have sin in your life today, Jesus came to forgive you. If you have heartache in your life, Jesus came to comfort you and heal you. If you have addictions in your life today, Jesus came to make you whole. But you know the only way you can be made whole is realize you're sick. Let me say that again because I'm going to close. The only way you can be made whole is realize you're sick. Remember last week when I said, who's the worst sinner in the room? Only about 20, 30 hands went up. I said, every hand ought to be up. Because until you see yourself as the worst sinner, your pride will keep you from God moving in your life to make you whole. See, the Pharisees, they sure didn't think they were the worst sinner. They thought the tax collectors were the worst sinners. In fact, Jesus, why are you even with these worst sinners? So Jesus just said back to him, you know what, you guys think you're whole? So I didn't even come for you. Now earlier he had said, oh, that you would come to me. He came and he died for the whole world. But he's saying, with your frame of mind, you're never going to be changed. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Do you need to be changed by God today? Just bow your heads. Do you need to be changed by God? Don't say I've been in a Baptist church all my life. I've been in the Catholic Church all my life. I've been in the, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, Assembly of God Church. Who cares where you've been? Have you been changed? And you know how you've been changed? Are you patient with those you live with? Are you kind to those that you live with? Are, do you have the power of God to forgive those you live with? Are you living under the authority of God's Word? Are you convicted even when you slip and stumble like your pastor that you have been saved to walk by the Spirit, not your sinful nature? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Word of God so you fight your battles with the Word of God? You know it's all by His grace and truth. If you haven't been changed today, I invite you to pray this prayer. Oh, God. Oh, God, I praise you for your unlimited mercy and patience for me. And, God, I need to be changed. Oh, I may have prayed the prayer. I may have been in church for years, but I need to be changed, Lord. I don't have a hunger for your word. I live in fearfulness. I don't have a desire to get with your people. And I show that I haven't because I never have. 
I need to be changed, God. You know how I struggle with anything that's out of my control? I don't know how to trust you with all my heart. You've never put that passion in my life. I need to be changed, God. And I thank you for your mercy and grace that I can be changed today. I trust Jesus Christ's death on the cross for the payment of my sins. I trust Jesus as the resurrected Lord to have the power to come into my life and make me a new creation as I entrust myself to you. Change me, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me, Lord. I stand on the authority of your word that you say anyone that's a new creation in Christ will be changed. They'll be made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The Holy Spirit has come. I've repented. I've surrendered my life to a new authority. On the authority of God's word. The Bible says you can be born again. But let me tell you, when you're born again, you're just a baby. And you will not live in victory as a baby. What do all babies do? They cry and throw fits every time they don't get their way. And you've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You've got to do as Robin says. You've got to get equipped in the Word so you understand to always walk in victory, you've got to walk under His authority, by His Spirit, fighting your battles with this, His Word. Now you're about to hear how you can be involved in a Bible study. And the Bible says, don't be deceived by just hearing something, but do it. So as you keep listening, you do the Word. And let me just say, if you receive Christ in your life today, I'll be here for a long time out in the foyer. I want you to come tell me. And I'll help you get equipped further. Oh, Father, thank you for your mighty working in this people, that we will never be the same. However we came in here, we'll never be the same. Whatever you've spoken to us, we'll live it out. To your honor, your glory, your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.